Well, good morning. What a great day in the low country. Would you agree with me on that? Yeah, that was weak. I thought it was a really nice day in the low country. I uh, hope it's a nice day wherever you are. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us right now in the chapel of the warehouse here or one of our off-site campuses on the internet, on the internet campus, wherever you happen to be. Uh, we're glad that you are along with us today. All right, question, how many football fans? Any football fans? Okay, a few. All right, professional football, anybody? All right, yeah, Pittsburgh Steelers fans. That's just, that's, that's just a sick disease. We've got a deliverance ministry for that here at Seacoast. So if you're a football fan, if you're not, follow along with me. I'm going to suffer me just for a minute. I'm going somewhere with this. But if you're a football fan, um, and if you're a rabid football fan like I am, Broncos, uh, you know that this weekend was the draft, okay? And the draft is where all 32 teams kind of gather together in one room, and they each have one selection, uh, and then they go back and they do it again, do it again, and do it again for seven rounds to pick the best of the college uh, football players to play for their professional team. It's real important because this draft goes a long way toward determining how good they're going to be in the future. And so each team puts just a lot of time, energy, effort into figuring out which players they should choose. What they've got, every team has a kind of a war room, and they've got um, a, a draft board, which is just basically a big whiteboard with a bunch of names on it that they think they'd like to take and kind of prioritized in the order that they'd like them. And then as other people choose, they take that name off the draft board and move the next best available uh, one in their eyes up until they finally make, make a choice. And um, the players on the draft board are thoroughly evaluated. They're measured because in college, uh, sometimes the coaches will fudge just a little bit on how tall they are, how much they weigh, so they get a measurement on them, then they bring them into camps and they time them and they see how many you know, pounds that they can lift and weights. They put them through skill tests. They put them through a mental aptitude uh, test. They do film reviews and, uh, so that they feel like they're ready. Now, this week, I was uh, speaking at a conference in Orlando Florida, so I came home late one night and popped on uh, television ESPN. Is there another channel? Uh, I, I wasn't sure, but uh, anyway, so they had a veteran coach on there who'd been through this draft deal a bunch of times, but he, he wasn't a part of a team right now. So what they did is they had him make his own draft board, okay? We want to see what a draft board looks like, and so he had a draft board, and he had real names on there of who he would draft, and and, uh, and on his uh, list, there were some red dots and green dots by certain people's names. And the um, guy that was interviewing him said, what's up with that? What, what's that about? And he said, well, those, those are character issues. He said, he said, those things are deeper than what can be measured. And they're oftentimes more important than the speed or the height or whatever it happens to be. And uh, he said, so let me give you a little character for dummies on how this works. And he went through some of them. Some of the green dots uh, were guys who had been captains on their college team. They figured if they were elected a captain by the 
their co-players or, or the coaches or whatever, then that probably indicated a higher character level, and that player may play better than what his numbers measure, and so you kind of put them up on the draft chart. Or maybe if they're a person of faith, that was one that would uh, maybe uh, drive it up just, just a little bit, all, all things else being considered. And then they asked him about the red dots. And he said, well, you know, and he pulled a player out and he said, this guy's really good and he probably would be drafted high up in the first round, but he's got an arrest record. You know, he, he, he uh, got caught stealing books or uh, stealing from somebody or maybe it was a, a drug bust or there's an indication of a, a failing a drug test, he said. This guy right here, he pointed to him, he said he ought to be one of the top drafted players, but... He's got multiple children by different women, and that tells us that there's some character issues there that may come out in the long run. And so he just went through a whole thing, and he said, if certain basics are covered, how you act is more important than what you can do. And teams that ignore that do so at their own peril because they're going to have to deal with it at some point. Well, I thought about that with us. We're in a series right now. We're calling it Love Is, and we're basically doing a, a Love for Dummies series. I mean, it's, it's a, the list of words that indicate what love is or what love isn't in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 13. And as I thought about the draft going on, I thought, you know, we all have a draft board going in, in, our, in our brain. I mean, there are very few of us that have them at home set up, you're a little strange if you do, but we have, we, we have this, we've got these draft boards that um, uh, have lists of people on them. Depending on where we are in life, the list might be who, who we're going to date. Or maybe even more important, we've got a short list of who we might marry and, uh, or who we do life with, or if we're in business it, and we need to hire somebody right now, we may have a literal, you know, three by five card in our pocket or whatever that's a list, short list of the people that we're thinking about for that particular job, or, or who we might do ministry together with. And you know, there are some key measurements that are kind of baseline for all of that. In fact, if we were to read all of 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, the writer would say, you know, there are things like faith that's important. We would say gifting and how they're gifted is something that you need to look at. Is that complementary to what you need or where you are? Things like generosity, you want somebody who's generous, uh, somebody who is self-sacrificing. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, he said there's one thing that trumps all of that. Those things are important and you need them to get in the game. But if you're going to excel in the game, he said there's a, there's a key indicator. There's an intangible called love that trumps them all. How you act, how you treat each other is more important than how gifted you are, what you can do. It trumps everything. And so you can ignore it on your list, but if you do, you do it at your own peril. And so what I want to do today, we're going to look again at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4. I covered the first half of it last week. We're going to cover the second half and bleed just a little bit into verse 5. Let's just take a look at the verse. It's at the top of your outline sheet, or if you have a Bible or a PDA that you have your Bible on, you can read that. It says, love is patient 
and kind. We dealt with that last week. Then he goes on and he says, love is not, and he gives a list of things that love isn't. He says, love is not jealous. Love is not boastful. Love is not proud. Love is not rude. Do you know anybody like those words? I mean, don't point. But you, you, you know anybody that, you know, you, you, th- their jealousy and their envy is just eating up your relationship right now. Or it could be you. You know, that, that when somebody else gets something or somebody else has something, that it just eats them up. Or maybe it's somebody that is um, uh, boastful. Every time you get into a conversation with them, they're just, you know, boasting about something they've done or a place they've been or, or maybe they're... Um, they boast about their family or their kids. Now, let me, let me just say this. Grandkids is an entire separate issue here, okay? It's just a whole, it's okay. It's covered under grace, right? Or maybe you know somebody that, you know, they're just proud. You know, it just seems like they, they just kind of look down on every, there's just kind of an, an attitude about them. Just kind of look down their nose at everybody. Or, or somebody that's rude, you know, they, they, um, they, especially with service industry people, I've noticed that. If they feel like they're just a little bit better than somebody else, they, they just treat them rudely. And you know people like that. And so here's the deal. They, you, you need to put a red dot on your list because these are major issues. They're, they're character issues that even though somebody may be talented, Somebody, you know, might be real, uh, real good at something, real smooth maybe in how they talk. If there's a red dot by one of these things, man, that person better come down your draft list uh, pretty quickly. As I looked at those words, I thought, what is the common denominator in those four words? What is it? Here's what I think it is. I think it's insecurity. Whenever you find somebody that's boasting or they're rude or, you know, they're, they're, uh, they're envious of other people's stuff or they seem to have kind of a pride attitude, I've been around long enough that if you scratch around a little bit, there's an insecurity beneath all of that. There's an insecurity. But if you see those indicators, you proceed with caution. But here's a bigger deal. What if I see them in myself? What if I see them in myself? So here's what I want to do. We're going to, listen, this week is going to be like uber practical. It's just like, what I'm going to do is I'm going to present three ideas that I think are biblically um, supported uh, on the alternatives to these things. How, how, if if this is showing up in your life, kind of how you can recognize it and overcome it. So three ideas on that. And then within each of the three ideas, I'm going to give three things that I think will, will help you to get back into the kind of the love flow. The, when Jesus said, I want you to love your God with all your heart and your neighbor as yourself, those are just like the two most important things. If you can figure that out, you're okay. That's as much theology probably as, as, as you need overall. And uh, so, so I'm gonna give you three ideas and three things in each idea. So that's what, three times three is nine. A lot of stuff. You probably only need one of them. Okay, so what I want you to do is I want you to listen with the ear of the Holy Spirit, and when he kind of puts a beat on something and said, this is something you need to listen to, really focus in. The rest of them are for your neighbor, okay, but one of them, one of them 
is for you, all right? So how, how can I vo- avoid what love isn't? Here's the first one. I can be content with what I have. I can be content with what I have. Honestly, it's hard these days not to envy, not to be jealous. Why? Because within seconds of having a good time, what do people do? They post it on Facebook. They're having a great time. You know, nobody ever posts bad times on Facebook. They post these pictures. They're having a great time. They're doing some fun things. This is awesome. And maybe you're not having such a good day and you think, you know what? There's not enough good time to go around there using my share. (laughs) You don't say it that way, but that's what you're thinking. Somebody else gets a weekend off and you don't. Somebody else takes a vacation and this is the year you can't. Maybe you haven't been able to take a vacation in two or three years and one of the people in your small group talks about, hey, pray with us. You know, we're going to wherever it happens to be And rather than rejoicing in that, you're going, you know, that's just not fair. You don't say that. You say, oh, we'll put that on our prayer list, you know. (laughs) You got that person in your group, don't you? Yeah. Or, or, Or somebody gets, you know, at work, somebody gets to go to the conference that you wanted to go to, whatever it happens to be. And we just, we get upset because we feel like they're using up all the good stuff. You know, nothing depreciates your car faster than your neighbor getting a new one. How have you know that? <laughs> Envy. About the time you catch up with the Joneses, they refinance. You know, there's a scripture, Proverbs 14 and verse 30. I'd like you to read this one out loud. Can we do that? A peaceful heart. Let's start over again. Because the people in the 1115 services all over weren't reading there. They'll get that later. Okay, let's, let's do it together. A peaceful heart leads to a healthy body. Jealousy is like cancer in the bones. Jealousy is like a peaceful heart leads to a healthy body. How do you get a healthy body? Man, you can go work out, but that gets tiring. You can eat health food, but when you wake up, there's just this nasty taste in your mouth. Here's a better idea. Have a peaceful mind, he says. If you have a peaceful mind, it says, it leads to a healthy body, but the opposite of a peaceful mind is jealousy, it says, and jealousy is like a cancer in the bones. Proverbs 27 and verse 4 says, anger is cruel and wrath is like a flood, but jealousy is even more dangerous. You know, if you're in a relationship and you find yourself being jealous all the time, jealous of this person, jealous of that person or that thing, it just, it, you, can't, if you can't fight that if you're the other person. You can't answer enough questions. You can't, you can't assure enough, it just destroys, it eats at your, your, yourself and it eats at every relationship. So let me ask you, do you struggle with envy and jealousy? How can you avoid it? Let me give you three things. Remember, you only need one of these if this is you. Number one, focus on the truth. Focus on the truth. Uh, almost all the time, you know, over the years we've talked to a lot of people and when we're when we're, um, when we're upset, 
when, we're, uh, when our mind is not peaceful, most of the time it's an indication that we're focusing on something that's not true. Here's the truth. Psalm 84.11 says, For the Lord God is our sun and our shield. He gives us grace and glory. The Lord will, hold, will withhold no good thing from those who do what is right. Here's the truth. God wants to bless you. God desires to bless you. And it says, he will withhold no good thing. He has more than enough. His blessings are not a, a, a reservoir where there's a, a, a finite amount. His blessings are like a river, a never-ending river. He will withhold nothing. Just because somebody else has something and you don't. Just because somebody else got a promotion or got whatever it happens to be and you don't doesn't mean that God is withholding or with will, will withhold or there's not enough for everybody. There's not enough. We get a poverty mentality. You know, we think that there's just not enough and, there, and God is infinite. And his mercies are new every morning. And you say, well, why, why, why don't, you know, it seems like Seems like uh, it's not just yesterday, it seems like last month and last year this happened to me and I, you know, let me tell you two things about that. Number one, uh, when, you're on a, when you're on a bad roll, whatever that is, all your mind focuses on is how many times this hasn't happened or how many times it has. It's like when you buy a new car, you suddenly start to see all kinds of other people driving that same car you never saw them before. You understand what I'm saying? And when you're on a bad roll, whatever it happens to be, then all you see is the bad rather than all this flood of good that's coming your way and around you. And the, and the second thing is, is that God is in control like we talked about last week. His timing is always good. You can see that in hindsight. So because I don't have it now must mean that's the will of God for me right this moment. And so I'm going to I'm going um, to be okay with that and know that the Lord withholds no good thing, all right? Here's, here's a second kind of way to avoid envy, and that's to just enjoy what you have. Enjoy what you have. Instead of worrying about what you don't have, enjoy what you do have. I love Psalm 37, 3. It says, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Just enjoy the pasture that you're in. If you have old stuff right now, call it classic and enjoy it. People pay more for old stuff. You ever wonder, you ever, you ever go to throw something out and you sit there and you wonder, I, I wonder if this is something I ought to keep because later it's going to be worth something because people are going to want it even though it seems like old and trashy right now. Anybody else do that? That's why I keep everything. That's right. If you have new stuff, don't be ashamed. Enjoy it. Do you ever get something new or you know, so a blessing comes your way and you, you're kind of ashamed of it? That's, you, no, no. God loves blessing his people and just enjoy the stuff you have. Don't worship the stuff you have. Don't let it become an idol. Just enjoy it. It's a gift from God. And don't miss the joy of this pasture, this season, by focusing on the next one. It's like a bunch of sheep, you know, and they're out in a pasture and you know, one of them's eating and says, this is good stuff. The next one says, you just wait till the next, I'm going to wait till the next pasture. I'm gonna, that's crazy. And a lot of times we do that 
in our lives, with, with our kids. I can't wait till they turn four. You know, I can't wait till they turn 16. Enjoy where they are. Enjoy where you are. Enjoy what you have. And here's a third one. This is a tough one. Learn to rejoice with others. Learn to rejoice with others. Uh, Romans 12 and verse 15 says, be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Let, let me ask you a question here. Which of those two for you is the hardest? To rejoice, to be happy with those that are happy or to weep with those who weep? Which is the hardest? I'm gonna suggest that the easiest of the two is to weep with those who weep, even though sometimes it's uncomfortable. I know yesterday I was, I was in, the, in the hospital um, with the family of uh, Ingrid Brewster, who I asked you to pray for last week that went with us on the, uh, on the trip to Israel, and she had a massive brain hemorrhage, and she went to be with the Lord yesterday, you know? She went to Israel to see where Jesus walked in and said she got to see his face. And, and, but family is mourning, and, and those are hard times. You don't know what to say, you know? But there's something kind of natural inside of us, I believe, that's built there by God that just wants to come alongside, really does. I, I, think, I think we all kind of, you know, you want to feel, and people rally around people that are in a hard place, that are weeping. I think that's the easiest of the two. Let me tell you what I think is hard. I think it's being happy with those that are happy, especially when you wish that you were there. Do you know anybody in your life that when something good happens to you, you have to be real careful and you can't share your joy around them because they get bummed out over it? Do you know anybody like that? Can I challenge you? Don't be that person. Don't pee that person. Learn to rejoice when people are happy. When something good happens, when they're excited, you don't be the person that they can't tell it because they're afraid of how you're going to react. As, as love people, as people who are walking in the Holy Spirit, who are walking in love, we ought to be the first to just rejoice with every good thing that goes on. See, people who walk in love are content with what they have. They understand that, it, that, that there is not a limit on the blessings of God and the good things that happen. Now, I spent too much time on that one, so evidently some of you needed it. So let's go to the second way to avoid what love isn't, and that's this. I can be secure in who I am. I can be secure. If insecurity is kind of the common denominator, then the antidote is to be secure in who I am. Why do we always want to be somebody else? Can I pick on the women just for a minute? This is just what I've observed. This is not a clinical study, although there's 10,000, 12,000 people that come to this church. Uh, so I've seen a lot. Ladies, if you were born with straight hair, why do you want it curly? I mean, seriously. And if you were born with curly hair, what do you do? You want it straight. I don't understand this. If you were born with blonde hair, you want it blonder. Or if you were born with brown hair, you want it brown or stripes in it or whatever. 
You know, there's one good thing about being a guy. You can be bald, overweight, you can have hair growing out of your ears, but when you get up in the morning and you look in the mirror, you say, what's up, handsome? Now, with guys, it's not necessarily what we look like, but we have questions when we look in that mirror. The question is, is this, do I have what it takes? Do, do, do I have what it takes? Oftentimes, it takes the form of a question, what have I achieved by this time in my life? Especially when you look at somebody else that might be a similar age or similar status or whatever, and you look at yourself and you go, what have I done, you know? I mean, I'm 30 years old, or I'm 40 years old, or I'm 50, or I'm 60. By 70, you really don't care anymore. <laughs> but what have I done? And you wish that you were somebody else. And then we don't want anybody to see our insecurity, so here's what we do. We brag, and we boast, and we act arrogant. That's what guys do. The truth is, we're very insecure with who we are. There's a great scripture uh, in the message. I love how it says, uh, uh, says Galatians 5, 25, it says this. Since this is the kind of life that we have chosen, the life in the spirit, let us make sure that we do not just hold it as an idea in our heads or a sentiment in our hearts, but work out its implications in every detail of our lives. That's exactly what I'm teaching on today. Teach it on life in the spirit, the love life. Let's just not hold it as a good idea. Let's work out the details, and that's what we're doing, just piece by piece, details here. That means, one of the details, we will not compare ourselves with each other as if one of us were better and another worse. We will not, we will not compare ourselves with one another as if one was better and the other was worse. We have far more interesting things to do with our lives. Each of us is an original. Each of us is an original. So what do you do? How do you become more secure with who I am? First thing you do is you settle your identity. A Couple of things here. You are an original. You're not one in a million. You're one in, how many people live on the planet? Almost seven billion now? You're one in seven billion. You're an original. And when you're in, in Christ, you're part of God's family. You are a son or daughter of the God most high. You're an inheritor of all that he has. You have his attributes and his traits coursing through you. You have the Holy Spirit to prompt you every day in everyday living. That's who you are. I don't care, you know, how you've messed up or what you've done. Your identity is stamped in you by God Almighty. The second thing you do is you embrace your originality. Embrace your originality. Have you ever said about somebody they're a real piece of work? Everybody in here is a real piece of work. You're, you're an original. Don't compare and copy, okay? When you stand before the Lord someday, this is not what he's going to ask you. Why weren't you more like Greg Surratt? Because that's just too high of a standard for you to have to live up to. Here's what he's going to ask you. 
Why weren't you more like you? Did you know that I gifted you? I made you the way that you were, and then I planted you in the city that you're in and set you in the work that you are next to somebody, or I set you at McDonald's when you were having that big fancy date or whatever it happened to be, and I set, placed you there because I had somebody else that I wanted to love through you. And I wanted to love through you with the unique characteristics that you have, but I couldn't because you were trying to be like somebody else. You're an original. What do they pay more for, originals or copies? Originals. Embrace. Embrace your originality. And the third thing is remember your destiny. Remember your destiny. You know, I was in Israel a couple of weeks ago, and I just noticed that there was just this prevailing thing, at least of the Israelis that I kind of hung around with, is they're, they're looking forward to their destiny. The Messiah is coming, and the Messiah is going to make everything right. Well, we as believers believe that the Messiah came and he's coming again. So that's what we share in common, that second part. But there's, there's a better day. There's a better day. In fact, if you're having a bad day today, I'll just bet that if you recheck your temperature, it doesn't even have to be after Jesus comes. It can be just in a few days or a few months. There's going to be a better day. I read a statistic. I wish I had it about bad marriages, and there was this huge number of people that, who identified at, you know, at one place in time that their marriage was bad. They went back five years later, and they said, oh, no, it's much better. It's much better. So don't just measure today. Remember your destiny. All right, now, l- let me give you the third big idea. Third big idea. All right, here it is. I can be humble in how I act. This is how how, how not to be how love isn't. I can be humble in how I act. God gives pr- powerful promises for those who act with humility. In James chapter four and verse six and 10, it says, but he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says, God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. I want you to think about that. God almighty, God of the universe, God that created this place. It says he's looking around for humble people. And it says that he opposes the proud, but he gives grace and favor to the humble. How many of you need more grace and favor? Let let me say it this way. How many of you have got all the grace and favor you need? I need grace and favor. I know who I am. I look around at other guys who do what I do. There are some that are, that are more talented. There's a couple that are better looking. They're, they're, I, I look around and I wonder, why, God, why in the world do you choose me to lead this place? And all I've got going for me is to bow my knee and say, God, I just humble myself before you because I need your favor. God's favor will get you a long ways, get you much further and what you can do on your own with your own abilities. He says, so humble yourselves before the Lord. Just humble yourself. If you, if you feel like, man, I need, I, need, I need a promotion or I need the favor of God, here's how you get it. You get down on your knee and you just humble yourself before the Lord and say, God, I need you. I desperately need you in my life. If it's just me, can't do it. You know what, when you do that, 
You put yourself in a place that God can bless you. You put yourself in a place that God can show you favor. So long as you're acting proud, you're acting like you got it together and you're boastful, God can't bless you. In fact, the Bible says that he opposes you. I don't want Almighty God opposing me. I don't know about you. I got enough problems on my own. I need the favor of God. Humility is often misunderstood. Humility sometimes conjures up images of weakness or, you know, super submissiveness or fear. That's false. Real humility is a sign of strength. Real humility is authentic confidence and courage. Humility simply requires a man to think of his abilities and his actions as no greater or no lesser than they really are. Romans 12 and verse 3 says, because of the privilege and authority that God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think that you're better than you really are. (laughs) Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith that God has given us. Just be honest. Now, sometimes people confuse humility with false modesty. I see this a lot. For example, maybe at work or at school, wherever it happens to be, you spend tons of hours meticulously putting together an excellent presentation, you know? And when people praise you, here's what you say. Oh, it's just something I kind of threw together. <laughs> or maybe, maybe you're cooking something, you know? Maybe that's your gift. Can I tell you, if your gift is cooking, mine's eating. We, we got to get that together. We got to get that together. You know, I'd hate to stand before the Lord someday and have him say, well done, good and faithful servant, but I wanted you to be 20 pounds heavier. So, so that's, you know, I'm trying to work on that. So, so, so you're cooking something, you know, and you've worked all day on this thing. And people see it, and the presentation is just incredible. Now, from a guy's point of view, presentation's great so long as there's enough quantity, okay? <laughs> but the presentation is incredible, and people say, wow. You must have worked hard. I just threw that together. You know what you're doing? You're actually milking for more praise. You're going, you know, if she did that well, just throwing it together, imagine how good she must really be, you know, with the speech or the talk or whatever it happens to be. When you do something well, don't toot your own horn excessively, but truthfully acknowledge what you accomplished. See, humility is not thinking less of myself. It's just thinking about myself less often. Humility's not putting myself down, it's just lifting God up. Humility's not denying my strength, it's being openly honest about my weaknesses. Humility is seeing that without Christ, I can do nothing, but with Christ, I can do all things. See, that's humility. So how can I lovingly walk in humility? Let me give you just three of these real quick. Number one, give more credit than you take. Give more credit than you take. The prideful man or woman will take as much credit for success as they possibly can. The humble person looks around and sees who she can give credit to. Yeah, we worked hard on that, but let me tell you, this one right here is the one that really, really worked, and you ought to really notice that. When you see somebody like that, you're seeing somebody that's practicing humility. Drop your pride, not names. That's the second one. Drop your pride, not names. Have you ever been in a conversation with somebody who's always dropping names in places? You know, I mean, they've been to Europe twice, they got a 4.0 in college, and they know every famous person within two continents. I'll be honest with you, 
This week, I was at this conference, and it was like, you know, I don't know, 5,000 people and, and a lot of church planners everywhere. And I was in a conversation with a guy. I don't remember what the conversation was. I just remember it happening. And a guy was telling me some stuff, and he was telling me about, you know, where he'd been, what he'd done, which is fine to do. That's fine to do, okay? But my response, I, um, I came this close to dropping a couple of names that strip, strictly, well, it would have been true, but strictly would have been to lift myself up in that conversation. And, and it was like the Holy Spirit checked me at the last, many times I don't listen to the Holy Spirit, I go ahead and do it. <laughs> Anybody else do that? But in this case, I knew I had to preach on it this week, and so I, I was more <laughs> sensitive to that whole deal. Dropping names. Dropping names. Or they one-up you on everything. You know anybody like that? I mean, you're excited about something you've done. Hey, I got tickets to the Rolling Stones. Really, I got backstage passes. <laughs> you know? One-up you on everything. That's insecurity is all that is. Drop your pride. Let the other person tell their story. Here's a third kind of little piece of that. Do what's expected and don't make a big deal of it. Just do what's expected. Don't make a big deal of it. Honestly, our grandfathers knew more about duty with honor. Tom Brokaw, the uh, author of The Greatest Generation, great book, said this in it. He said, the World War II generation did what was expected of them, but they never talked about it. It was part of the code. There's no more telling metaphor than a guy in a football game who does what's expected of him, makes an open field tackle, then gets up and dances around. When Jerry Kramer threw the block that won the Ice Bowl in 1967, I hate to say, but I was watching that before most of you were born. He just got up and walked off the field. See, why don't we take a lesson from our grandfathers? Do something because you're supposed to and have a little humility and don't always post it on Facebook. You know what I mean? Just, just do it. Just do it because you're supposed to and don't make a big deal of it. Juan Carlos Ortiz was talking to a circus trapeze performer about the net below him and what it did for him. The performer said, obviously, it keeps me safe. But he said, let, let me tell you what the net really does for me. It makes me a better performer. Ortiz asked him, what, what do you mean it makes you a better performer? And he said this. It's very simple. Because the net is there, I feel secure. And because I feel secure, I'm willing to risk more. I'm willing to try an extra turn, an extra twist. I'm willing to try a trick that I wouldn't try at all, but that security releases me to reach my potential. I really feel like that if we'll walk in love in these areas and walk in security rather than in insecurity, we will release those around us to reach a greater potential. You think about that in your marriage. You think about that. You become the security. They'll risk more. They'll bloom in friendships and in work. What if we all did that? What if we all walked in what love is rather than what love isn't? You think it'd be a better place? I think so. Let's pray. Father, I thank you today for your kingdom. I thank you for how your word is so practical and so applicable to our lives. And God, now I pray in the next few minutes that you would challenge us to our core. God, that you would speak to us, that your kingdom would come and your will would be done in this room and all of the rooms that are within the earshot of my voice. And God, I ask this in Jesus' name.
Amen. Amen.